We are, uh, <clears throat> we have a goal this morning, I have a goal this morning. Uh, part of it is that we would be very factual, I'm interested in you knowing the facts, uh, which tends sometimes not to be too inspirational, but uh, we hope that it'll be inspirational as well as factual. And hey, what you do with it really is your entire business. Nobody's trying to jam anything down your throat or make you believe anything. But I want to convince you this morning that uh, if you don't buy into this, you're going to have to dump the scriptures and you're going to have to call Jesus a liar. <laughs> and it's okay if you want to do that. He'll probably survive. <laughs> but uh, I really want uh, the Lord to speak to us today and communicate this truth to us. So we're looking at Acts chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, wow. This is a big deal, isn't it? And Lord, I know... Uh, because of my own experience, I get so wrapped up in things and material things and physical obstacles and problems and got to get this done and got to get that accomplished. And we get so, so overwhelmed with uh, the physical life that is around us that we forget we're in a spiritual war and that there is a battle raging and that we are in the middle of it. And I pray that the communication of what you're trying to tell us in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of the book of Acts would be literally get through to my heart, to our hearts, and we would literally come to grips with the reality of the way things are and what you want to accomplish in our lives. So Lord, we give these moments to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, you're aware that Luke, of course, wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. So he wrote these two books. What you may not be aware of, although we've mentioned it here several times, what you may not be aware of is that when he wrote these two books, they weren't two books, they were one book. So he wrote them at the same time with the same purpose in mind. And it was volume one and volume two. So the gospel and the book of Acts are intimately connected as one book. Now, when it was circulated in the early church and they'd read this thing, they would read volume one, take break, read volume two. And they read it as one, one book. But as it circulated in the early church, the Gospels accounts, Matthew, Mark, John, were also circulating. And someone recognized that the first volume of what Luke wrote was really a Gospel, so they pulled it out and stuck it with the other Gospels and made four Gospels. And that's how it got separated in our Bible. But we had sense enough to save the book of Acts because of, one, historical significance. It tells us how we got from the Gospels to the early church. Corinth, for instance, how we, how we moved there, uh, what took place, how, it, how we got there, includes the event of Pentecost, all that's going on. So it's really significant, but it's much more significant than that. Because the point of all of this is this. When, when Luke wrote this, he didn't, write with, he didn't write the gospel, and when he got done with it, wipe his hands and say, hey, that was a great idea. And then a year later, say, oh, got another idea, and begin to write it. He wrote with one idea. So whatever's going on in the gospel is also going on in the book of Acts. And the reason for the gospel is also the reason for the book of Acts. So they all have, it all has one purpose, one theme, one idea. Well, what's the one idea? There is a cosmic war going on. Did you get it? There is a cosmic war going on. Of course, the whole scriptures reveals this. But Luke is after this. This cosmic war idea. And the war, of course, is between it, the unseen world 
and what's going on in the seen world. And they interrelate together. So the war is really in the unseen world. So we operate so sufficiently within the seen world that we begin to ignore what's really going on. And hey, what's going on in the unseen world is as real, if not more, than what's going on in the seen world. And Luke is telling us there's this phenomenal unseen world where this war is going on in the cosmic world. And this war, of course, is between God and Satan. And the battle is severe. And it's playing itself out on the stage of your life. Now, as this unfolds in the Gospel of Luke, this man called Jesus shows up. Now you understand, and again we talk about this all the time, and we probably will continue because this is so significant. You've you got to understand this. This man called Jesus shows up. Now this man called Jesus is God. That's right. We fight for that. Absolutely. We will not bend on that. Absolutely. If you say Jesus isn't God, I'll take you out and whip you. That's how strong we are on this. We will not budge on that. We never will indicate anytime, anyplace, anywhere that Jesus isn't God. He's always God. Every time you run into him, he's God. When he dies on a cross, he's God. When he's walking on the water, he's God. He is God in, the, in his mother's womb. He's God back in creation. Jesus is God. What did I say? Okay. But this is amazing. Get a hold of this. Can you imagine... God, I'm talking God, with all the advantages of being God. I'm talking about sovereignty, and I'm talking about eternalness, and I'm talking about omniscience, all-knowing, and I'm talking about all-power, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, uh, omnipresence everywhere at one time. I'm talking about all the advantages of being God. He took those advantages and set them aside and said, hey, not going to use them. I'm going to limit myself to be a human being. And whatever you got going on in your life, I'm going to have going on in my life. And whatever resources you have, I'm going to limit myself to those resources. Can you imagine it? Now why would he do that? Well, this war thing. See, man, or some of you want to say women, but man got us into this mess. The sin. And all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the one who's going to have to get us out of this mess is a man. A human being. See God can't just wave his magic wand. That doesn't solve anything. Justice is involved. All of this stuff is involved that we don't have time to go into. But here's this phenomenal problem that God has. Because the wages of sin is death. Amen. But see, God can't pay the wages of sin. Because God is eternal. And he can't die. So he needs a man who isn't in the mess. A man who has not sinned. To get in the middle of this war and win the battle. So God goes looking for a man who hasn't sinned. He looked you over and said, whoops. <laughs> Couldn't find one. Couldn't find one. So how are we going to win the battle? How's the penalty going to be paid? How's the key element of the war going to be solved? He can't find a man. So God said, hey... I'm not going to make a man this time. I'm going to become the man. And God became man. But to do that, he had to set aside everything. Hey, he can't be eternal. God is eternal. I know. But he took that and set that aside so that he had the capacity to die. So Luke is painting the picture in the Gospel of Luke of a man... Who's God? Yeah. But he's a man with only the resource you have who is filled with God. A 
a man filled with God. And Jesus didn't do what he did because he's God. Although he is God. But that isn't the explanation of his miracles. That isn't the explanation of his resurrection. That isn't the explanation of his purity. That isn't the explanation of how he lived like he lived. The explanation for how he lived like he lived is, he's a man filled with God. And he's the first one. The first one. Now, understand... In being the first one, he's not far out. He's not, well, that's idealistic. That's not, see, it's not, wow, that's above average. No, Jesus is a normal human being. If you want to know what a normal human being is like, look at Jesus. That's what God wants. Isn't it awful that we've all been so abnormal for so long that we think abnormal is normal? In fact, we'll say, well, men will be just be men. Boys will be boys. Men will be men. It's the way we are. It's normal. No, it's not. That's not normal. That's abnormal. But it's been around for so long and everybody's been that way, we think normal. No, it's not normal. Jesus is normal. And anything less than Jesus, who's a man filled with God, the merger, God and man together, and the very spirit of God that filled Jesus wants to fill you, live in you, reproduce the life of Jesus in you. Well, did Jesus have problems? Yes. Did Jesus struggle? Yes. Struggle physically? Look at the cross. Come on. See, this is not an idealistic picture. This is a man... In all the trouble and evil of the world doing battle. And Jesus through the power of the spirit. Merged with the spirit. Marched into this thing. And the whole picture of the gospel of Luke is. That Jesus is invading demonic territory. Every miracle is an invasion. Pushing back. Demons are cast out. Sickness is healed. What's going on? He's invading demonic territory. He does battle with the devil in the wilderness temptation and comes out on top. You go to the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done. He comes out on top through the fullness of the Spirit. A man filled with the Spirit of God doing war, doing in the middle of the war, man. And through the power of the Spirit, he literally, he literally reaches out and sucks into himself all the evil that you and I have done and took it on as his own and took it to the cross and shed his blood but not just his blood literally went to hell and paid the entire penalty for my sins in the war and when he got done paying the penalty he reached out and grabbed a hold of the gates of hell and yanked them off their hinges and marched out of that place in the fullness of the spirit and resurrected from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the father and sits as the first man conquering winning the war that's the picture of Luke the gospel now yeah I know see I look at that and say oh brother that's Jesus I'm Hey, Jesus was dead on, I'm dead off. Jesus was always right, I'm always wrong. Jesus was straighter than a stick. I'm, I'm, I'm crooked as a dog's iron leg. I just, yeah, there's no, yeah, yay for you, Jesus, but not me. So Luke comes along and says, let me write volume two. I'm going to find a whole bunch of mean, nasty people just like you. Who hate, get mad, steal. Cheat. Why? I'm going to get a whole bunch of mean, nasty people like you. And we'll fill them with the spirit that was in Jesus and see what happens to them. Book of Acts. Shook their world. Because the same spirit that lived in Jesus was now living in them. So here's volume one. One man full of the spirit. Woo! Winning the war. Volume two. Whole bunch of disciples. Mean and nasty. Filled with the spirit. Winning the war. Now he wants to write a volume three. 
in you. You're the third volume. Filled with the Spirit. Winning the war. Now, that's our passage. Now, you realize that first, what we read today, the story that we read today, it's not an isolated story just stuck in, just to, just, to, just to give you a story. It's not an historical account, although it is, but it's not just there for history. See, it's a part of chapter 4 and 5. He's trying to say something here. Well, what's he trying to say? Well, a lame beggar has been healed. Wow, the power of God moved upon his life, filled him, pushed back demonic forces, raised him to his feet. So this lame beggar, wow, everybody knows him. All over town they're talking. Jerusalem is in a stir all over this phenomenal miracle that, that was brought about by the power of Jesus in one man. Peter and John have the opportunity of preaching about this. And it tipped the scales in the Sanhedrin leadership of Israel. Are all bent out of shape. Matter and a harnet over this thing. And so persecution is launched. They get them all together. Peter and John and the lame beggar has been healed. And they get them together and they threaten them not to talk about Jesus anymore. If you do we're going to kill you. They go back to the early church and say we're all going to die. So what does the early church do? Well, the conclusion of it is verse 31, chapter 4, which is a parallel, which is an insight into what's going on in the early church. And when they had prayed, Jesus do this again. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This merger thing. That what went on in Jesus now was going on in them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, persecution wasn't going to deter them. They were literally going to march winning the war. He says, let me give you some examples of this. And he gives Barnabas. Verse 36. Barnabas. He won the war. Filled with the Spirit. Sold his property. Gave all the money. Woo! What son of encouragement. Went out and whooped his world. Full of the Spirit. Won the war. In the fullness of the Spirit. That's a positive. Now he says, let me give you a negative. And look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? See, on the one hand, you've got fullness of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, you got, uh-oh, Satan, there's the war. See, there's the war right there. There is the war, guys. So you got these two forces in overwhelming conflict. A cosmic war going on in the passage. And from Genesis to Revelation, this war is just unfolding. I mean unfolding. Every incident, every prophet, every scene, every miracle, everything that's going on in the scriptures comes back to this, this, this war that's taking place. Now again, hey, I'm interested in paying my bills. I, hey, uh, I'm interested in getting back to work. Uh, man, it's hot. Uh, See, we, we get so involved in all of that. And this really ticks me off. Back in the day, uh, just going into evangelism, I was working as a caseworker for the welfare department in our county. And uh, it just made me mad. Because... We had meetings. Couldn't believe this. We had meetings with the officials, you know, the other caseworkers and people in charge. And we had meetings, and they kept telling us, our problem, folks, is the environment. Why does a guy commit crime? Why does he get drunk? Why does he take drugs? It's the environment. If he had better clothes, if he had better housing, and a better job, he'd be okay. Do you know how crazy that is? I said, I'm out of here. You can 
but a, you can educate a criminal and you know what you'll have? An educated criminal. <laughs> because that's not, that's an ignoring of the war. Because this is not about drugs. This is not about alcohol. This is not about embezzlement in the passage. He embezzled the fund. This is not about embezzlement. What is this about? This is about the war. The war, man. That on the one hand, there's the Holy Spirit who wants to fill your life. On the other hand, there's Satan. And, and who, who, whose side? Who's, whose side are you on? Well, I got a foot in both sides. <laughs> That's the old Indian thing. Come on. You know, the old Indian thing was two canoes. I put one foot in one, one foot in the other. <laughs> Boy, does that hurt. <laughs> that isn't going to work out. <laughs> See, this is... Can't be in both. And that's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. See, they're trying to be in both. Well, they're good people. I know. They go to church. I know. They listen to the apostles' teaching. I know. They're good Jews, believe in Jehovah God. I know. They've been converted to Jesus. I know. They've shared in ministry. I know. They've, been, they've participated in miracles. I know. I know. I know. But Satan filled their heart. What? Okay, let me break this down for you. Facts. Here's biblical facts. The biblical facts of our passage. Number one. Satan. Did you see it? Verse three. Uh, Ananias. Why has Satan? We're not talking about a force. The force. That's Star Wars. This is not Star Wars. There is a real, live, functioning person, entity, being, whatever word you want to use, entity, being, called Satan. He is presented in the scriptures as the mastermind, behold, behind everything that is not right, evil, in your life. A real, live, functioning entity. Ask Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. He spent 40 days in the wilderness doing overwhelming battle with that guy. Satan. That person. I mean it was so much so that he didn't eat for 40 days. And that this person kept at him like, uh, hey, turn stone into bread. Kept at him like, hey, bow before me and I'll give you all. Just kept at him 40 days. And finally he went away. Go up to Jesus, whack him on the back and say, hey, do you believe in a real devil? <laughs> Well, sure he did. No, I was just in a daze. Come on, there was a real entity, person called the devil, who was out to destroy the solution to the redemption of the world. Do you know that Satan is, the word Satan literally means accuser. It means slanderer. It means adversary. So Satan is your accuser, slanderer. He is the adversary. Three times he showed up in the unseen heavenly court. Zechariah chapter 3. He shows up and accuses Joshua the high priest before God. In Job he shows up twice in the heavenly realms in the court. The sons of God gathered together and guess who came along? Hey, this guy by the name of Satan and accused Job. And God gave power to Satan 
over his flesh, over his sickness, over his, his material things, and turned him loose to go work on Job. And what have you got going? You've got this, this battle taking place, this overwhelming, this, and who's behind it? This, this real life functioning guy. Oh, the scripture gives him personality qualities. For instance, he has intelligence, 2 Corinthians. He has emotion, 1 Timothy 3, 6. He's jealous, Verse in Job, in hatred in 1 Peter 4, anger in Revelations 12, 12. He commands in Luke 4. He leads rebellions in Revelation 12. That sounds like you and me, doesn't it? He's a person. He's a real life guy. Sainted. So you're trying to tell me there is a real life mastermind of evil behind everything that's going on? And he's plotting and planning. And he is the cause of the war. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. He hates God. And he hates you. You know why he hates you? Because God loves you. <laughs> Oh, if you could get this. See, you are the dream of God. The scriptures is full of that. You didn't just pop out of your mother's womb. You were shaped and made and created and formed by divine God. And God's design is what? Oh, I want sons. God wants sons. You're not a pet. You're not like a dog. You're not a hobby. He wants sons that he can merge with and relationship with and he loves you. Well, hey, if I hate your guts, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go after your kids, man. So here's a real life entity called Satan who hates God and so what does he do? Goes after you. He's going after you. Do you know that 19, there are 27 books in the New Testament, 27 books. Do you know 19 of them? Talk about the devil. Talk about Satan. Present Satan as a real live functioning person. Do you know that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels, 29 times the term Satan as a person shows up. And 26 of those times, no, I'm sorry, 25 of those times, 25 out of the 29, Jesus is using the term. The Bible presents him as a fallen angel. That he was a created being by God, created by God, and he fell, he rebelled. For instance, in Luke 10, he, he fell like lightning from heaven. What's really significant, it is in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, it says that the death of Jesus was the judgment. Do you know the judgment has already taken place? The devil's already judged. In fact, the first messianic promise, promise is what? That, hey, the devil, God said to Eve, will bruise the head of your seed will bruise the heel of your will will bruise the heel of your seed but the, the the seed will literally bruise his head the cross was the devil being stepped on with a bruise on his head that he'll never ever 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 get over the battle is won the victory is ours could be <laughs> What side are you on? Let me read this to you. Listen to this. Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into a bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that, he should so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. And after these things, he must be released for a little while. 
Sandin. A real live guy. He's after you. I don't believe that. Okay. I know there's a force of evil in the world, but hey. A devil? I don't believe that. Okay. You got to get rid of the Bible. And you certainly can't believe Jesus. Because he was deceived. So fact. Satan. Number two. Spirit of Jesus. See the war is between what? The devil, Satan, and God. Isn't it interesting? Now think this through. Isn't it interesting that in the scriptures... In the Old Testament, every time you read the word God, it's a translation of Elohim, which is always plural. And you've read the Genesis creation account where it says, God got together and said, let us make man. Us. Who's us? It's plural. So all through the Old Testament, you get this plural thing going on. That God is plural. And yet it says he's one. But he's plural. And then you come to the New Testament and it kind of unfolds in Revelation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You believe in three gods? No. <laughs> believe in one God. But the one God is three. So when I say God to you, you think in terms of the Father. I don't. I think in terms of the three. Because God is the three. Well, Father is God. That's right. Jesus is God. That's right. Holy Spirit is God. That's right. Can you imagine a Trinity God so powerful, so powerful? This is a mystery. So powerful. Well, why are, try, why are you trying to explain it when you can't? I don't know. Just before the fun of it. There's this Trinity God. This three in one God. This one God who's three persons. This one God who is so powerful that when he speaks, what he says takes on personality form. It's the word. We call him Jesus. And the word which is Jesus is so powerful, so powerful that his atmosphere, his, his, his aroma, his, his presence, his atmosphere of his person is so powerful. It takes on personality form and it's called Holy Spirit. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? The Spirit of Jesus. Jesus in my heart. No you don't. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yes you do. Because he lives within me. See how do you explain that? I don't know. But hey guys. The fact that we don't know everything doesn't mean we can't know something. So I don't know all there is to know about it. But I do know some things. And I do know that Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, has literally come to indwell. Oh, let me read this to you. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh. Not meaning physical, but meaning evil. You are not in evil, but you're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. That the dividing line is being full of Jesus. The dividing line is, oh, Jesus has come to live within me. The dividing line is that inside my gorgeous body, I have another person besides myself. That was a joke. Inside my body is another person besides myself, namely Jesus. And I'm not on my own. Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus do in me. Oh, 
He's just, the scripture says, he's constantly revealing Jesus. He's constantly giving me the mind of Christ. He's constantly spilling the love of God in my heart. He's constantly, when upset is coming at me all over, he's constantly giving me peace. He's constantly giving me security. That the that the wonder of the presence of Jesus is the inside security of who God is that there is a plan and he's working that plan out of my life and you can't put ripples on my pond because this is a this is a set this is a destiny this is an almighty God whose whose side I'm on but more than that he's come to live in me and he is merged with me and he is operating who he is in and through me and this is the same victory that went on went on in Jesus is now going on in me because I have the same spirit and Ananias you missed it you missed it you missed it Satan filled your heart what You were in the early church. I know. You sat in service after service. I know. You saw miracles. I know. You were there when the Spirit of God shook the place. I know. You sat under the apostles' teaching. I know. And Satan filled your heart. So, got two things. Satan, real life guy. Mastermind behind the war. Spirit of Jesus, real life guy. Wants to fill my life. He's the success that wins the war. Satan, Spirit of Jesus. What's the stage? Number three. What's the stage for all of this? Oh. That's easy. It's in our passage. Why has Satan filled your heart? See, Ananias was the stage. What's the platform for the war? You know where the war is taking place? In my physical circumstances. I take my knee and put it on the neck of a black man. What's that all about? And then we all get mad. Well, we've been cooped up for two months. Let's all turn loose, break some window. Where'd that, where'd that come from? What, what's going on here? Chinese and the virus was it or was it or was it what's going on here there's a war guys things aren't just happening and they're not just happening in your life and the ultimate goal the ultimate aim the ultimate desire is I of the Satan is I want to destroy you As a person. How am I going to do that? I'm going to eat you alive. I'm going to be a cancer in your life. That's literally going to undermine. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to ruin you physically, mentally, emotionally. I'm going to chop you off at the knees. I'm going to bring everything. Oh, I'm just having fun. <laughs> what are you talking about? There wasn't any fun. Oh, there's fun in sin for a season. It's a fake. It's a fake, guys. It's a fake. Why? Because there's a war, man. There's a war. Do you see that? Well, what's the central issue of the war? That's chapter 4 and 5. We've gone over this. See, the lame beggar's been healed, man. There's a stir going on in Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin has all been out of shape. Drags, drag, drags them in before the court. And you know what they're all upset about? 
the central issue of the war. Your relationship with Jesus. Don't! The whole issue is don't! The big deal is don't! All they care about is don't talk about Jesus. Zip it. Shut up. Never want to hear it again. Don't talk the name of Jesus. You can have parties. Don't care. You can give free pizza. Don't care. You can have compassionate ministry. Help the poor. Don't care. You can have services. Don't care. You can sing songs. Don't care. You can preach and lecture and, and teach. Don't care. Just shut your stinking mouth about Jesus. I don't want to hear about... What? Come on. We talked this. Again, you can go all over the world, guys. Mash the thumb. And you know what they scream? Jesus, not Buddha. I've never heard anybody swear in the name of Buddha. Why? He doesn't matter. Come on. Use your head. There's something about this Jesus that matters. And it is so big that, hey, we'll get at him any way we can. Because there's a mastermind who says, I'll degrade his name in every nation. I'll tear him down, man. I'll kick him in the teeth every time I get a chance. I'll use everybody's mouth I can get a hold of. Why? Because he's the deal. Because he's the one that stepped on my head, the devil would say. And if you get in touch with him, and if you get in union with him, and if you merge with him, oh, I don't have a chance. Because then I can't fill your heart, and I can't destroy you. And the issue is this Jesus guy. And Ananias, you missed it. So, what do we got? Satan! Real life guy. Mastermind behind the war. Out to destroy. Hates God, therefore he hates you. Because you are the dream of God. Spirit of Jesus. Oh. He loves you. Real life person. Wants to indwell you. Satan. Spirit of God. What's the stage upon which this is playing itself out? Your daily life. How you think. Your job. How you respond to each other. Fourth. I know we're only supposed to have three points. Fourth. Script. Every good movie, every movie, every play has a script. See, to make a movie, you don't just walk in and say, oh, let's just make it up as we go along. There's a script. It's written out. I memorize my part. Then I act it. And it really irritates me. Because I'll, I'll watch this TV show, you know. And on this TV show, you know, the weekly show, um, this guy's a hero. Man, he's good and fights for the right. And then I'll watch another program and he's a crook. I say, whoa, you're not supposed to. What, you, you're a good guy. What are you doing that for? <laughs> well, this is not about him. It's a script. You get that? It's a script. They're playing a script. Satan. Spirit of Jesus. Stage. And there's a script. That's the passage. Look at it again. Verse 3. Why has Satan. Filled your heart. Now we'll get into this in another message. But another study. But Satan filled his heart. Well, not like Jesus fills your heart. See, Jesus wants to come and merge with you. Jesus wants to come and literally indwell you. Jesus wants to come and literally give you himself. And merge with you. And live within you. And empower you. Satan isn't doing that. Satan isn't coming and live within you. 
So nobody's saying you're demon possessed. He fills your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So he writes the script on your heart. Isn't that interesting? He wrote it on Ananias' heart. And Ananias responded to it in the action. And where did he get that idea? To take the money, keep it, say he gave all when he didn't give all. Where did he get that idea? Satan wrote the script in his heart. You know what Jeremiah 31 says? It's beautiful. It's a prophecy. Talking about what's going to happen when Jesus comes and dies and we move into this new thing. He said this. This is the covenant. Listen to this. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. <laughs> Isn't that neat? Well, the Ten Commandments on tablets of stones. Psst. You against the Ten Commandments? No. But we don't have any stone tablets here. You know where the Ten Commandments are? <laughs> he wrote them on my heart. <laughs> Do you know what the difference is in that? See, when it's out here, oh, brother, I got to do that. Well, who's watching? See, when it's written in here, it's desire. It's, it's, I want to. It's, it's, See, out here, I got to control myself. Do not murder. Oh, in here, I don't want to kill you. Step on your face, but not kill you. Just kidding. See, I don't want to kill you. See, that's the war. That if Jesus, can you get this? If Jesus would literally come and live within me so I could, I could have his mind and he could put the thoughts in my head instead of thinking the old junk, I think. If he could come into my emotions instead of the old temper, he would, he would bring subtle. If Jesus could come and instead of living in fear and insecurity, I could, I could have his, yeah, I could have his, if he could put, if he could write security in my heart, so I'm no longer, fear would no longer, oh, if Jesus could come and live within me so that my relationships would begin to reflect how he thinks. And of course the old deal, folks, is tablets of stones. Well, I can't do that. Outside rules. I can't pull that off. See, Ananias and Sapphira, that's the story. They've done pretty good. They've been converted to Christ. They joined the early church. They participated in miracles. Wow. They said unto the apostles' teaching. Yeah. They, were, they even went so far as, hey, we'll sell our property and give money. Yeah. That's, whoa. Wouldn't you just say, yay, go Ananias and Sapphira. Woo. But see, it wasn't. It was in their heart. Jesus hey Satan are you listening are you listening hey Satan Jesus would you address him would you look him right in the eye for me and tell him to bug off would you overshadow this place with a force field of your presence that would be so powerful that nothing Satan could want would enter into this moment but that you could get to our hearts today would you call us today Jesus to a new revelation to a new intimacy to a new depth yeah we don't understand it all I, 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 yeah Lord there's so many mysteries in this whoa but could I know you and could you speak in my heart? Could you write in my heart? Could you do something to my insides? 
Could I have you? Could I go all out for you? Could I give my whole self to you? Could I just jump into your arms today? Lord, there's a war going on and I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. Because I've always lost. And the destruction of relationships and the ruin of my own physical body and God, the, the addictions I've been in and all the stuff I've been a part of. It's awful, God. It's destroying me. I've ruined family and home and on and on and on it goes, God. I'm losing. And there's not a shot in the world I'm going to win. Unless you come. And the central issue of this war, war is you. It's you. It's you. So God, I want to jump in with both feet. I want to, I want to abandon myself. I want to... Lord, I'm going to kneel again and today and just, I'm, I'm yours, God. I'm, I'm, I'm yours. And would you, as you won the victory in the man called Jesus, would you win the victory in the man called Manly? Make us winners today in your presence. Hey, heads are bowed. Manly, I don't believe a thing you said. It's fine. Don't have to. But you got to throw out the Bible. And you got to call Jesus a liar. And ladies and gentlemen, if this isn't true, what I've just told you, if it isn't true, and if it isn't possible for you, then it's not possible for me. And I'm damned. But if it's possible for me, it's possible for you. Because there was a man who is God called Jesus. Who broke a hole in the wall, who made a door where there was no door, who paved a way, was a scout blazed a trail into a whole new relationship with God that Satan cannot touch. He cannot touch it, man. He cannot touch it. Would you jump in with me? Would you forget all, everything else? We're not asking you to reform. We're not asking you to quit anything. Would you just jump into Jesus with everything you got and see what he does? Would you let him start writing in your heart? Would you start responding to his writing on your heart? Would you listen to him? Would you come under his influence? Just some moments. Some moments of prayer. Moments of seeking. Want to join us here?